Working as an FBI special agent was my dream job. My whistleblowing was apolitical and in the spirit of upholding my oath. Nonetheless, the FBI cynically elected to close ranks and attack the messenger. The FBI will crush you. This government will crush you and your family if you try to expose the truth about things that they are doing that are wrong. We are all examples of that. Joining us now are Steve Friend and Garrett O'Boyle. Thanks for joining us, fellas. FBI whistleblowers Steve Friend and Garrett O'Boyle both join us now. Gentlemen, so glad to have you on the program. Thank you for your testimony. We need more folks like you, and I'm sure more people are going to be from your background are going to be giving you guys more intel as you're sharing that with the rest of us. We can kind of see that this is becoming normal for them to be held accountable because I think especially an institution that we pay their salaries, they need to be held accountable. I think a lot of people do share our, our beliefs and convictions. I think they just aren't at the point that Steve and I and others have gotten to. They're too afraid. are in short supply. Reject the noise, ask bold questions, and pursue the truth with FBI whistleblowers and founding suspendables, Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. This is the American Radicals Podcast. It is the American Radicals Podcast, and it is a Thursday, December 7th. 2023 we are not no we are no longer on saturday at noon we've officially made the jump we're going to be tuesday thursday saturday at noon so anybody who is joining us today make sure you spread the word far and wide and while you're at it make sure you give us a like and a follow on rumble so today we're here i'm really excited i have so much to share with you guys today uh we're going to be talking about how the federal government how federal law enforcement agencies actually go about arresting somebody it's a little bit different than what you see in hollywood the movies and the tv shows it's a lot of differences and we're going to talk about how maybe they're not following the regular procedures and and the way that things should be going and then we're going to get into and this is why this show is entitled the fine print and that is uh why it's necessary to read just beyond the headlines you don't want to wind up with a you may have won some valuable prizes sweepstakes and then you never know you wind up with a lifetime catalog to pottery barn so that's always important we're going to get into all of that uh, but the first thing that i want to do before i do anything else is acknowledge that today is in fact pearl harbor day uh december 7th 1941 and it was a day that 2403 u.s servicemen and women and personnel were killed in a surprise attack on Hawaii by Japan. It, it launched the United States into World War II. Uh, it's something that I think we all should commemorate. And, and I'm going to do that here and play a, a clip of then President FDR and his uh, address to a joint session of Congress. Mr. Vice President, Mr. Speaker, members of the Senate, and of the House of Representatives, yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. That was 
that was President FDR making his joint session. Uh, and speaking in front of George Session of Congress, he was asking for a declaration of war. He absolutely got it. And the United States, before you knew it, was involved in then the Second World War, hopefully the final World War. Uh, so that aside, uh, today is also the first day that the American Radicals podcast is going to be going to three times weekly. Hopefully this will day be a day that lives in infamy in the podcasting universe, in the Rumble universe, uh, but for positive reasons. And I thank you all for being with me today. As you can tell, it's just me here today, folks. Uh, Garrett is on the road. He is with the fam in the vehicle driving to North Dakota. He was invited to speak at an event. We talked about it last during the last show. He's going to be given an address and then taking some questions as a suspendable. Uh, so he he's away uh, in spirit, though. I know he is here and uh, and I think partially here. And I think that uh, I look, who knows? It's today's technology. We might be able to take some calls. You never know. Um, but when it comes to, I think, our first uh, acknowledgement, our first uh, sponsorship that we want to we want to put out there. Uh, and, and I think can think of no one better than a first time, long time person who's uh, been participating in the American Radicals podcast, I would love to bring on our friend, the GOB Actual, to uh, to come and address the audience and, and, and make sure that he plugs his merch, the suspendable store, www.the-suspendables.com. Garrett, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Hello? I've got you. I've got you. Oh, yeah, I was telling your screener that the, your intro was really, really banging today. I really liked it. But, yeah, long-time listener, first-time caller here. And uh, I just wanted to give you guys kudos on, on the great show and, you know, even playing that clip from FDR. It was really good stuff. But, uh, no, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm sure the people could could hear right through my, my, uh, my talk radio caller accent there. But uh, no, awesome to to be with you guys. And yeah, like you said, we are on the road. But yes, the-suspendables.com. Get your merch. Uh, we're going to be gone for a few days, so we might fall behind a little bit. But I tried to catch up as best I could. There are only a couple orders flapping in the wind as we rolled out this morning. So when we get back, we'll get all caught up. But, but yeah, get your merch. I'm hoping even by the time we get back, if you guys are interested, um, for Christmas, I think we'll have enough time to, to get things out to everybody, but, uh, but yeah, the dash suspendables.com and yeah, it's weird calling in to my own show, but I appreciate you, uh, having me and holding down the fort and looking forward to hearing the rest of it. All right, brother, be safe, drive safe, get there safe. And, and um, we'll see you when you get back. Um, and, and we'll get right. an after action on how the speech goes. God bless. For sure. All right. GOB did actually get say join us. So he is not. He's perfect attendance record will remain intact for the AMRAD podcast. All right. So it's time now to transition to what I really wanted to open with. And that is an explanation for how people are actually arrested in the federal government. And as I said in the intro, there's a common misconception. Look, just if you interacted with police in your life, uh, if you're found on the wrong side of the law, it's a guy in uniform. He puts handcuffs on you. He places you under arrest. It works a little bit differently uh, from the FBI and from any federal law enforcement agency. And I think it's important to, to actually lay it out the way it works in order for us to understand how it should be going and how it's actually not going that way. And, and there may be the reasons that are behind that departure from, from regular protocol.
So the first thing you can think about when you get arrested uh, would be the officer in uniform making what is called a probable cause arrest. And that is something that it's pretty easy to explain. It's, it's not uh, beyond a reasonable doubt, but it is a situation where an officer of the law is either a witness to a crime or arrives shortly thereafter. There really hasn't been a long cooling off period. It hasn't been a month or a year since the crime allegedly happened, but in the immediate aftermath, and is able to gain the facts and the circumstances to a level that in his discernment is probable cause to make an arrest. And that can actually happen at the federal government level. Uh, contrary to what they teach you at the FBI Academy, in my experience, uh, when they sat us down, they said, look, we're going to show you uh, every way you can arrest somebody that's probable cause arrest is on the books. You can do this. You will never do that. You're with the FBI now. Uh, we do not, we're not first responders, first responders. If a crime in fact actually happens in your presence, you need to be a witness to that crime. You do not need to be putting handcuffs on anybody, which as a recovering FBI agent, uh, I think is probably inappropriate. And as a former cop, it was something that was against every inclination that I had in law enforcement. So it will surprise no one in the audience to know that I actually did, in fact, make several probable cause arrests in my time in the FBI. I think much to the chagrin of my supervisor and to the U.S. Attorney's Office, but I also had sort of a, a small niche working on Indian reservations where violent crime happens. There might be some unique circumstances that, in effect, mandated me to make this probable cause arrest. So uh, I had one situation where there was a non-Native American who was dating a Native American woman, and they got into a domestic violence situation, and he assaulted her. Well, unless you're familiar with the jurisdictions within the Indian country work, that means that the Native American police force was unable to arrest him because he was not a Native American. So I actually happened to be driving out on the reservation, saw some blue lights, thought it might be a wreck or something, and I slowed up and, and went in to check on them. And the officers there were just thinking they're lucky stars because a fed happened upon them at the exact moment that they were dealing with the situation, and they could wipe their hands of it, hand him over to me. I had to make a probable cause arrest then. That's not the end of the story, though, because we watch uh, these, these spaghetti westerns, or even uh, up to current stuff, and who, what does the sheriff do? He, he arrests the bad guy, puts him in the jail, closes the door, case closed, right? Well, that's Hollywood. That's not reality. In reality, what I then had to do was scramble all jets. And that required me calling up the CDC, which is the chief division counsel at my division, which in fact was the Omaha division at the time, make sure that they were tracking on what I had done because it was such a departure from the norms. And then I had to call the U.S. Attorney's Office. And then in the next day, that's when the paperwork really starts. That's when I had to type up what is called a criminal complaint. And that's basically an affidavit that I'm swearing to the facts and the circumstances of the case. We hand it over to the U.S. Attorney's Office and then the assistant U.S. Attorney, who's kind of like the county prosecutor if you're a local law enforcement, and me. And the judge all convened, and the judge read my affidavit, swore me in, attested that everything that I had done was, was true and, and, uh, and faithful to the law. And then we had a judicial complaint to justify the arrest of this suspect. That's not where it ends. Then subsequently to that, with actually within about 30 days, we had to go to grand jury and indict this suspect. So we had actually all the necessary elements to carry out a lawful federal arrest. We had an indictment from a grand jury. 
we had a, a process, which would be a judicial complaint at this point, and we actually had the arrest. They were a little bit out of sequence the way you normally see things in, within the FBI or federal law enforcement, but we had all three there. Uh, there was two other times that I had to do probable cause arrests. They were uh, definitely a little bit... Uh, a little bit more interesting, I think, than that was that was a must arrest situation. You know, I had a, I had a woman who stabbed her boyfriend in the backseat of a car, and then I think it's probably the only time in my career I've ever encountered who I was fairly certain was a female sociopath. Uh, when I asked her to describe stabbing her boyfriend to me, because she sort of just said like bam, bam, bam verbally, I said, well, "Were you punching him or are you stabbing him?" And she said, "No, I stabbed him, and it felt like butter." So uh, that one, that one left a mark, which is why I always, always remember that one. And then uh, very, actually very early upon arriving at my destination in the Midwest, in Sioux City, Iowa, to work on the reservations, I had to make my first probable cause arrest, which was a father who stabbed a son. And it was because they were arguing over who got to sleep on the couch that night because they were both drunk and wanted to pass out at the same location. Uh, the suspect at that point, said that he was sick or hurt or something and the police had to take him to the hospital but the hospital was off of the reservation and as a result of that the police chief said his people could not stand by and guard the prisoner because they were outside of their jurisdiction he had to pull them back so in the middle of the night i had to leave my family drive to the hospital to babysit the prisoner <clears throat> and then since there was not a tribal charge because i couldn't transport him back to the reservation technically that's kidnapping uh, I had to make a probable cause arrest. So those are the three. And in each case, made the arrest, typed up the complaint, and then finally went to a grand jury to secure everything that I needed to make that totally on the up and up, totally legal. <clears throat> now, what is far more likely that you will happen? And that is sort of an inverse of that process. In, <clears throat> in federal law enforcement, a crime happens and, and the FBI is not the first responder. The, the police or whoever is handling that uh, handles a preliminary investigation. They might pass it up to a detective. It might find itself at the FBI to be investigated. The investigation might last for years. In my case, it was probably maybe a few weeks, maybe a month. We do an investigation. We interview all the parties. We collect the evidence. We do everything that needs to be done. And then eventually, we have a case report that we take to the U.S. Attorney's Office and say, hey, look, I think this person violated the federal law. He should be arrested. So the U.S. Attorney at that point has the opportunity, can say, look, I need more work to be done on this. Look, I know it's a, a violation of the law. I just don't have the bandwidth. We have to manage our resources. I'm going to decline to prosecute, even though I know this was a violation of law, or they might accept the case. And if you're lucky enough to bring the charges to the U.S. Attorney's Office and they accept your case, then you do what is go, you go and testify in front of a grand jury. And in my situation in, in Iowa, I had to go to a grand jury that was, was convened in Omaha, Nebraska, one week a month. So we had to time it. I would bring all the cases I wanted to indict, drive about 100 miles, go testify to the facts of the case. And a grand jury, unlike a criminal jury that you see on TV or in movies, is one party. It's the U.S. attorney in the room with the agent. And we basically lay out the case, one-sided, the defendant's not there, there's no defense attorney. And then there's a room of people, they hear the facts of the case, and then they vote whether or not to return an indictment. And if they do, then you have the indictment. 
bring it to the federal judge. He signs the process, which in this case would be an arrest warrant rather than a judicial complaint. <clears throat> and then <clears throat> you go forward and arrest your bad guy. There's not really a, a time requirement on it. Obviously, you want to get them as fast as you can. Uh, you don't want to leave an active arrest warrant out there circulating for years on end. Uh, there's a reason that you brought charges, and that is to bring the person into custody before they can commit more crimes, inflict more fraud or force on the American people. And that would be the most common way that a federal agent would arrest someone. So we have the very uncommon way, which is the probable cause. And then we have the very common way, which is going through a grand jury process, indictment, indicting someone. And then we have what's called a judicial complaint. And that's the hybrid of the two. And that's something that I think we should get into because it is being misused for some federal subjects of investigations now. Now, again, we're going to have all elements that I've talked about with the probable cause arrest and with the grand jury indictment. But a judicial complaint is a hybrid model because I'll give you an example. Someone commits a crime, but for some reason, uh, my grand jury is not going to be convening for for another three weeks. Or maybe the grand jury docket is completely full. There's been a lot of cases brought to the U.S. Attorney's Office. We can't fit you in this month, Steve. Well, now I have a guy who's committed a crime, and we don't want to leave him out on the street for, for some reason or another. There might be some exigent circumstances. They might be leaving the area. They might be a dangerous scenario. They might live with the person that they have inflicted violence on. We have to go and expedite this process, but we can't quite make the probable cause arrest. There's been a little bit too much time lapse or some other circumstances where I can't just go walk in the room and say, you committed the crime. I've deemed it so. You're under arrest. So that is why we go with a judicial complaint. So you would type up the same complaint that I typed for a for a probable cause arrest, bring it to a judge, just like I did for make probable cause arrest. The judge then would issue an arrest warrant, and I would arrest the person. It would take about one day. I'd bring them into custody, and then at the next grand jury, within the next 30 days, indict the person. So again, we have an arrest, we have the paperwork, and we have the indictment, all the elements you need to do it. We just kind of jumbled the order around because of the circumstances surrounding the case. The person had to be in cuffs too soon for us. We could not wait for grand jury. Those are really the three things that you need to know when we examine what I think is a purposeful departure from regular order when it comes to certain suspects that are finding themselves um, out of favor with the DOJ and with the FBI. So this brings us to what was recently in the news, and that is an announcement of a January 6th subject. This is, uh, this is Seth Dillon, I believe from the uh, Babylon Bee, and he, this is actually someone who works for the Babylon Bee who was charged as a January 6th defendant. It's Siaka Masakwai. Uh, and the reason that this hit the news was Seth Dillon obviously announced it. He worked for the Babylon Bee. He was actually in the new movie from Daily Wire, the Lady Ballers comedy film, and was on his way back home after attending the premiere. So obviously had to board a plane. According to him, uh, he has been surveilled. He's, he's done the whole quad S's that uh, we've learned about from Federal Air Marshal Sonia Lobosco, retired, who's talked about how there's a Quiet Skies program that so many of these people have been put into, even though they might not be a domestic terrorist subject. Uh, they're they're on the list for extra screening. He has to show up to the airport early. He's surveilled. He's going through the whole rigmarole. 
And this is for an alleged crime that happened January 6, 2021. So nearing in now on three years hence, and this is a, a public person. So the question is, has he committed any violence? Is there any anything that's happened in the intervening time? And according to Mr. Masquai, I've, I've heard a few of his interviews. What did he actually do that day? Uh, he claims that he went to attend President Trump's speech and then went to his hotel and subsequently saw on the news what was happening, went to go see it with his own two eyes, went to the Capitol actually after, I guess, some, some time had passed since any of the doors had been breached. He walked through the threshold and then a uh, Capitol police officer told him to leave. So he turned around and left. The actual timestamp has him inside the U.S. Capitol for about two minutes, during which time he did nothing but walk in, obey a lawful order from a police officer, and leave. Nevertheless, this dragnet has now come after uh, come after Mr. Massaquai, and uh, his house was raided uh, in the immediate aftermath of January 6th. And now, almost three years after the event, he was brought into custody by the FBI as he left uh, from the airplane. He was deplaning from the airplane as it landed to walk across the tarmac at the airport. The FBI scooped him up there. Well, I, what I want to uh, hone in on is, and you can see it, uh, it'll, it says arrest warrant, uh, you are commanded, et cetera, et cetera. It names Mr. Massaquai, but you'll see there's there's a couple of check boxes in, halfway down the page, and it's saying, what is the authority for this arrest warrant? And all the way in the far right-hand side, it is a check by complaint. So you leave, we're led to believe that this individual necessitated a judicial complaint, a criminal complaint, to obtain an arrest warrant to arrest him instead of following normal, regular processes, which would be to get the indictment from the grand jury. And beyond that, what I think is also interesting is the date of the arrest warrant. So if you look into the bottom, and for those of you who are, are listening and only viewing, the bottom left-hand corner gives you the date and the, and the, uh, the location that it was sworn to, November 15th, 2023. Uh, so this was almost three weeks before his actual arrest. Now, Lau, let's let's take a moment and review what we talked about to begin with. And that was the fact that if you want a criminal complaint, you will, there's got to be some sort of exigent circumstance. Ordinarily, you would go to a grand jury, obtain an indictment, and arrest him. But there was something necessitating them arresting him three years after he committed a crime. Uh, but it apparently didn't necessitate them stopping a potential domestic terrorist from boarding an aircraft to fly to and from a movie premiere, which one would think might be a uh, high casualty potential attack event. If Would you allow a real domestic terrorist to attend that event if, in fact, you had an arrest warrant in your pocket to bring him into custody? Very, very concerning. And this is not the first case that we've seen this with any of the January 6th cases. In fact, the process is the punishment with so many of these cases, as Mr. Massaqua is now experiencing. They have now brought him into custody. He's got restrictions on his travel. When a movie that he is starring in is supposed to be airing and around, you would think that he might have some, some requests for his attendance at other events. Uh, and 
the arrest actually happened with the maximum amount of exposure, the maximum embarrassment that could possibly be to him. A man returning from maybe the one of the highlights of his life, starring in a motion picture, he's arrested on the tarmac of the airport when he arrives home from that event. And this is a weaponization that the FBI is using where they are circumventing the typical steps that you would bring to bring an actual criminal defendant into custody and they're doing it just to punish him more than they have to they have all the tools at their disposal and it, it is it's honestly it's, it's it's disgusting the agents that were there that arrested him i, I from what I, mr mesquai said there were multiple agents who were there uh, they knew he wasn't armed he actually was coming off of an airplane so what was the actual danger why did that necessitate multiple agents multiple law enforcement officers there to bring him into custody again the process is the punishment so that that's sort of all that lead up to 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 explain how we have yet another example of how the fbi is weaponized against significant portions of the american people it's really gross and and we just continue to hold out hope that maybe some people in positions of authority can defund or defang this agency to bring it to heel so that it stops just treading all over the American people. All right, now let's move on. And then we can move on to uh, what, what really, what I wanted to focus on with this this today's episode. And thank you anybody for for, uh, for following the show today. Uh, it's sort of a, out of typical order, we, we, we didn't really announce it. Uh, we, we had been going Saturdays at noon only, uh, anyone who's just joined, we were now going to be going Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday at noon Eastern time on rumble. We appreciate anybody sharing their information around with the show. Garrett's not here with me today. He will be in, in obviously going, going forward. He had some business to handle out in North Dakota. He's going to speak at an engagement. Uh, but if you're along for the ride with me today, at Real Steve Friend, you can follow me on X. You can follow the show at Amrad Pod. You can follow Garrett at Gob Actual, but uh, he still keeps his his Twitter uh, profile kind of secretive. So hopefully he'll be opening that up more because I'd like to see him, you know, get on the train here and get start getting followers to to him as well because he's putting out good content. Uh, and while you're here, make sure you like and follow the show. And again, uh, we appreciate everybody's uh, time and attention here as we're going over some some different types of stuff. And uh, this is in, in, this is where we're going to get into the title line of the show, and that is read the fine print. The the reason that you have to read just beyond the headlines. And, and while I was constructing the layout for the way the show is going to go today, I was actually reminded of uh, time in college. And when I was in college, we had a world class dining hall you could go in there and at any meal you could eat japanese food mexican food italian pizza you had a full 20 different cereal types you could get steak potatoes soup anything you wanted and it never ceased to amaze me how many people would complain that there was no variety in the college dining hall and the only reason that i could surmise for that was that when you have your tray and you start to dabble into one thing from the Japanese food station and one thing from the Italian and one thing from the Mexican and, and subsequently, and then all of a sudden you're just getting a taste of all these different things and that becomes your meal. And then you do that all the time. Yes, there is no variety 
in what you're eating because you're sampling everything all the time. And I think of that when it comes to the news, because we exist in this 24 hour news cycle, we're being thrown headlines all the time. And they all look so appetizing because these, these journalists and these news sources are very good and very proficient at the clickbait. They're, they're good at their titles. They're good at the, the picture. You click on it and you feel like if I waste my time reading this entire article, I'm going to miss out on the next clickbait. So I'm just going to read the headline, maybe the sub headline, maybe the first paragraph, and then maybe share it, maybe close it out, and I'm on to the next thing. And look, full disclosure, I'm guilty of it too. I, I exist sort of in this, this weird world right now where I have to consume the news all the time. Uh, and, and it's hard. You, you really uh, struggle to make it all the way through, especially some of these lengthy, lengthy pieces. But I will say this, having written a fair number of these columns and these op-eds, uh, I put a lot of work into the entire thing, not just the headline and not just the opening paragraph. And I put myself in the shoes of these other journalists and I know they would appreciate me reading their work, just like I would appreciate anybody reading all of mine. So I try to be, uh, try to honor that from them. And it slows me down a little bit when it comes to consuming some news. Uh, but I do think that it's worthwhile, especially when it comes to press releases from agencies that are banking on you just reading the headline. And uh, I joked before the launch of the AMRAD podcast that I thought that I could use source material entirely from social media accounts from the FBI. And that would be all that I talked about. And I could probably have a multiple day per week podcast that was successful. We're going to give it our best shot. Maybe just one episode. Maybe we'll have something uh, going in the future. But I do think that uh, that I've got an elegant sufficiency, as my as my father would would like to say, of information here that I think uh, is is indicative that the FBI is counting on you to sample the Mexican food and the Italian food and the Japanese food, but not really have an entire meal where you digest the full article. So, the first one I want to bring to you, and 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 take note also of of the the timestamps and the, the dates of these of these press releases that that the FBI has put out. The first one you'll see is from is from St. Louis. This is the FBI St. Louis. Uh, you look at the headline. If this is all you read, it says two St. Louis area men sentenced to prison for methamphetamine and gun crimes. Thursday, November 16th, 2023. So actually only one day after Massaquai's complaint was, was signed off on by a judge. Uh, this was about three weeks ago that this press release came out. And if you were to read that article or read that headline of this article, you would think, wow, wow, the FBI has now put two people in prison for dealing drugs and playing with guns. That's what you expect of, a, of your premier law enforcement agency. Well, let's scroll through this article a little bit, and let's read the high points. This is about uh, these two men, and you can see uh, the first of which his name is Kinney. It says, Kinney originally attracted the attention of St. Louis County police officers when he sped away from a police vehicle on July 28, 2021, passing other vehicles in the center turn lane, according to a plea agreement. After officers used a spike strip on his white Kia Fort 
Kinney was driving. He kept driving until the car began to slide off the road on four flat tires. Kinney got out holding a Glock pistol with an extended magazine and ran away. He was arrested, and the police found about $3,800 in cash, drugs, and ammo in a bag that he was carrying. Brett, the other suspect here, was arrested at the vehicle, so he actually didn't run. He just stayed with the, with the broken-down vehicle, waited for the cops to close in on him and arrest him. The officers found a stolen Glock pistol in the car, as well as an SKS, inner arms, Hellpup semi-automatic rifle. Wow, they really want to play up uh, how a semi-automatic rifle is. And an Arsenal Sam 7 K semi-automatic rifle and three packages containing a total of 1.3 kilos of meth. Brett's bag held two Glock magazines, $3,800 in cash and marijuana. Well, having read that article, it would appear that the police had everything sewn up. They had a vehicle chase, which is fun. I've done that. They got both subjects and arrested them, found the dope, found the guns, found the money, had them in custody. Where is the FBI's involvement with this? Well, this is where the choose-your-own-adventure happens. There might have been state charges that were insufficient, that maybe these guys would have been pleading guilty and going, uh, going away to a county jail for six months. You know, maybe, maybe they get sentenced to state prison for three years. Well, that's overcrowded. So the first day they walk in, we're going to cut their sentence down to 18 months with good behavior. They're done in nine. That's where the feds are very useful. You bring some federal charges on gun crimes and on drugs. You're going to do 85% of your time if you go to prison. So it's, it's always advantageous to bring a federal charge if you can for a sentencing requirement. But again, what was the FBI's involvement with this? And if you recall, this happened July 28th of 2021. Have you checked a calendar lately? It's 2023. So these guys were arrested in July on that day. The charges were obviously referred over to the FBI, or the FBI might have read in the newspaper about it and said, hey, look, we can adopt this case. There's probably some violations of federal law. And we're going to take this case, drag it out for two and a half years and then have a federal sentencing, which we will advertise as the work of the good men and women of the FBI. We'll make sure we acknowledge the St. Louis County Police in a half a sentence in this press release, but we really want you to know that the FBI is doing the bidding of the American people to fight back against these droogs of society who sling meth and have guns and get into vehicle pursuits so thank you very much, FBI. I think they were probably hoping you didn't read that press release. Let's move to the next one. This one, title, Carterville, man sentenced to 15 years for meth trafficking. That's a heavy sentence. 15 years, he's going to do 85% of that time. He's going to do over a decade of his life in prison for selling meth. This is from Springfield, Missouri. And again, let's read, and as you'll see, it's dated November 28th. So about a week ago, a little over a week ago, he was uh, sentenced to 15 years. A couple paragraphs in, it says October 7th, 2022. So a little over a year. A, a Carl Junction, Missouri police officer attempted to conduct a traffic stop of a gray Nissan Titan pickup truck, Gaucher 
Gaucher. We'll say we'll say Gaucher because I'm, I'm American. It's Pearl Harbor Day. Gaucher was driving. Gaucher initially stopped, but then began slowly driving away as the officer followed the vehicle and activated his siren. Goucher increased his speed. Eventually, the truck left the roadway and crashed into a ditch. Obviously, as this was a vehicle pursuit, uh, it was worded very eloquently by the pursuing officer uh, to leave himself out of that. He, all he said was he activated his siren. Uh, fair guess, he was pursuing this vehicle at a high rate of speed. <laughs> but Goucher was found lying in the ditch, and he was arrested by the local police. This all happened October 7, 2022. Bad guy was located by police and was in their custody that day. They obviously conducted a search of his vehicle to inventory the car. Uh, they found a green backpack beside the vehicle that contained approximately 300 grams of meth, as well as drug paraphernalia. Paraphernalia would be like a pipe to smoke it. According to court documents, Goucher was also in possession of more than 100 rounds of ammunition for two separate types of firearms. So ammunition only, no gun. He had prior felonies. So possessing the, uh, the ammunitions was going to be violative of that. He was a felon in possession of the ammunition, so that was going to stack some charges on. But we're back to the, the first case that we had in St. Louis. This is, again, a vehicle stop by a local police officer doing his job. Saw something wrong with his vehicle. Spidey senses went off, lit him up, turned on the lights, tried to attempt a traffic stop when the, uh, the vehicle... Uh, Fled from him. He pursued it, did his job, went home that night, kissed the wife and said, look, I made the world, made the community a little bit better today. But again, you're probably not going to get that heavy sentence. So either they brought it to the FBI or the FBI saw it and said, look, we, we can offer you a heavy sentence. Why don't you give us your case? We'll take it, stretch it out for a year during plea negotiations. And then uh, subsequently to the sentencing, we will claim that we did some great work at sentencing a meth trafficker who, for what I can tell, had less meth than the guys in St. Louis who didn't catch a trafficking charge. Seems like they might have uh, boosted that up, uh, at, least in the, at least in the headline of the story. So again, another example of the FBI stealing a case, adopting a case. They'll argue that they're there to support their local partners. I don't know. It seems like they're kind of glory hunting to me. Uh, but look, the anecdote of uh, the plural of anecdote is not data. So we need to get some more data. So we can move on to maybe uh, another story. You'll see that this is from Albuquerque. This was uh, this was Kyle Serafin's last division he was in. He was in the Las Cruces resident agency, but Albuquerque was the was the headquarter city and if you read the article headline it says deming man sentenced to 10 years in prison for federal firearms offenses so he's a he's an evil person who has guns again november 20th 2023 within the last few weeks scroll in they they uh they actually put this in paragraph number two so unless you read the headline in just the first paragraph uh, you actually get some of the facts here pretty quickly According to court records, January 31st, 2022, so now we're closing in on almost two years since, this, this bad guy named Lucero came to the attention of law enforcement when his former romantic partner reported him for harassment. So he was harassing his ex. The woman stated that she had been driving down a road earlier in the day with her mother and two children in the vehicle when she noticed that another vehicle was following her. 
She pulled over, recognized Lucero as the driver. Lucero approached the car and pulled a firearm from his waistband and pointed it at the woman. Lucero then moved to the passenger side of the vehicle and pointed the gun at the woman's mother. The woman fled the scene, but Lucero continued to follow her until she pulled into the parking lot of a local police station. The woman was able to describe the firearm that Lucero was threatening her with to law enforcement as a 9mm Beretta. She probably knew that because they probably lived together. This sounds like a really harrowing experience for this woman. And having an ex stalking you is just got to be terrifying, especially when you have your children and your mother with you. You just can't feel safe. She did the right thing. She drove immediately to the police. He would be a fool actually to follow her there. So anybody who's dealing with that, that's always a wise decision. Uh, but she went to the real police. She didn't go and drive up to the Albuquerque FBI field office. She drove to the real police, as she should. So if we continue reading here, it says, early the following morning, Lucero contacted law enforcement and stated he was feeling depressed and upset and wanted to speak to an officer. When law enforcement arrived at his home, Lucero was holding a loaded magazine, just the magazine, not the gun. The officers asked if he had a weapon. He stated it was not on the property. The officers left the home and returned the next day, February 2nd, with a search warrant. So they left did what they were supposed to do, went to the judge, hear the facts and circumstances. We would like to search his house for this firearm. And the judge said, go forth and do so. They did a search. They located the Beretta that the ex-girlfriend had described to them, the loaded magazine, a pistol holster, and one round of 45 ammunition, which would not be fired from the Beretta. But again, they are inventorying all evidence that was collected and it was relevant to this case. So what happens? This was two years ago, and the FBI took this case from the local police who, not just a traffic stop, these guys, this got passed up to a detective. This was investigated. They did a search warrant, which would require a significant amount of time and manpower, collected all the evidence to bring forth charges against Lucero. What's the FBI's contribution here? Well, other than offering an agent to walk the paperwork over to the U.S. Attorney's Office and say, I'm a federal agent and I can attest that this is true. And then the federal government can bring a heavy-handed charge on this person with a heavier sentencing requirement. What did the FBI bring to the equation? Nothing, right? They just, But they got to put that out there. They hope you don't read the headline. Deming man sentenced to 10 years in prison for federal firearms offenses. Thank you, FBI. Thank you for all that great, wonderful work that you did keeping America safe. Starting to figure out that there might be a pattern here. I don't know. Let's give you a couple more. A little more rapid fire here. This one is from Beaverton, Beaverton, Oregon. Beaverton drug trafficker sentences 13 years, federal prison. Court of court documents, May of 2021. So now two and a half years later, Beaverton Police Department obtained information that this guy was supplying fentanyl and other drugs to area drug dealers and possessed large quantities of drugs, several firearms in his apartment. They obtained a search warrant, located and seized more than two pounds of fentanyl pills, so enough to kill a small city, and meth, smaller quantities of heroin, cocaine, cocaine hydrochloride, and a semi-automatic pistol, guns and drugs never a good combination, people, just, just telling you. And a two short barrel assault rifles. He was arrested without incident. So without incident, the local police did everything. He was arrested. They seized all the evidence. And in walk the FBI. 
to take credit, get their press release, and move on to the next case. Get those stats. Go to Congress. And here's something else I'll tell you. A lot of these cases you'll see in the FBI's Twitter profile on Friday, and they do a Friday violent crime roundup press release. You go in there, you actually drill down at least one, if not multiple, one of these press releases that the FBI describes are these sorts of cases where local police are doing their job of keeping the crime down in their area. And the FBI swoops in, takes the case, grabs the stats, grabs the acclaim, gives themselves a helmet sticker, and then goes back to Congress and says, look how much good we did for $11 billion. Why don't you give us 12? And make sure that all of our senior executives get their bonuses because we hit our quotas. And Congress just reads the headlines. They don't look into the facts and circumstances around each one of these cases. And, and how could they? How could they? Let's do one more. This is from Wisconsin, from, uh, from Milwaukee Division, which is Garrett's old stomping grounds or current stomping grounds now. And uh, read this one. November 29th, so a little more than a week ago, Timothy O'Shea, the U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Wisconsin, announced that Richard Chapman, age 66, was sentenced today, 96 months in prison for bank robbery. All right, now, any bank that's insured by the FDIC is falls within the purview of the federal government to investigate. But what are the circumstances here? What was the actual contribution from your FBI? Well, this happened earlier this year, February 3rd, 2023. He robbed a park bank in downtown Madison, presenting a teller with a note saying, I have a gun, I am a robber, give me 100s. He held his hand inside a plastic bag, which led the teller to believe that he had a gun. After being given the money, he fled. Madison detectives were able to follow his movements by watching city cameras. Excellent police work, excellent investigative work. They tracked him using the city cameras. They found the clothing that he discarded. They actually saw him on the on the closed circuit cameras, saw the where the where the clothing was dropped. They went and, and secured it, had it for evidence. Further investigation led the detectives to the defendant. He and after initially lying about his name and trying to run, so they caught him in a lie and they physically caught him when he was running. He was taken into custody and he said to them, quote, you got me. Again, where was the FBI in this? This was a bank robbery. And he was obviously arrested with subsequent to that. He fled the scene. It wasn't in the immediate aftermath. It's not like he robbed the bank and as he walked out the door, there was a cop waiting for him. There were some investigations that done there. Maybe it was a matter of hours. Maybe it was a matter of days. What was the FBI's contribution to this? You'll see that the detectives, that's the word, that's the labeling. The detectives did this, not the special agents. So now the FBI swoops in, gets their federal charge, and gets their press release that they put out all too happily. Madison man sentenced to 96 months for bank robbery. Is that enough? Is that an elegant sufficiency? I don't want to get too redundant and, uh, and start repeating myself. I've been hammering this for the last year and some change. We do not need an FBI. What we could do and what we, is what we already do, and that is we take local guys, local detectives who do great work, like looking at closed-circuit cameras to identify a subject and track him through the city, and we give them federal deputization so that they can take their own case 
walking into the office of the U.S. Attorney's Office and say, I think we have federal crimes here, and I'm a federally deputized agent through the U.S. Marshal Service in conjunction with my state arrest authority. I think that that is a way that we could empower the local police to do the job that we all expect of them, and that is to keep the crime down. We don't need a middleman. We are giving the FBI as a middleman credit for work that it's not doing, and we're giving it funding because it's claiming to have done that work. And that is not being a good steward of the taxpayer money. This agency is clearly, if it's advertising it, we can only question what's going on in cases that maybe it doesn't feel meet the, uh, the rigorous standards of a press release that they want to put out on their social media accounts, which we know they're very proud of. They use them to recruit new candidates. They use it for public awareness. They use it, I saw today earlier, that they were pushing out a new app where you can get these press releases sent directly to your phone. I highly advise you to not get the FBI app, which will give you their BS press releases uh, and they can collect your data. So it sounds like a lose-lose proposition. Uh, and that was from the FBI Baltimore office, if I saw it correctly. I'm sure that there are multiple field offices that actually put that notice out. Do not give the FBI your data uh, and you do not need their app. It does not give you anything that you can't get from your local crime dispatch that's in your local paper. So we'll leave it there on the on, on reading the fine print. But I think we do need to also see what's on the silver screen to a certain extent. I think the FBI has misrepresented itself, uh, both in print and uh, on TV and in movies. And we have now this new this new De Niro movie, this new DiCaprio movie, which is a, uh, a film adaptation of the best-selling book, Killing the Flower Moon, which I highly recommend. It's an excellent book. I read it. Obviously, I worked in Indian country, so it uh, was near dear to my heart. I thought it was going to be uh, relevant to me and wanted to know where my history as an FBI agent at that time, uh, where it had its roots. It's an excellent book. It's an amazing story about the Osage Indian tribe in Oklahoma and how there was basically a serial killer who went around killing different members of the tribe, but had to do it in a specific sequence so that when one died, all their rights to land, which there was oil on, would be bequeathed to the next person and then the next person and the next person. So ultimately, it could wind up in the lap of the serial killer. And the FBI uh, director of the time, Jager Hoover, was a savvy marketer. And he saw how this case could put his new fledgling Bureau of Investigations on the map, on the radar screen for people who had an appetite for true crime. And he did what the FBI did in every other case that I spoke to about today. And that was take credit for the work of the local. In this case, it was uh, a Texas Ranger who hunted down and investigated this case, brought it to full prosecution, uh, but the FBI still claims to credit for the case. Here's a little snippet, though. Um, if you're so inclined to go watch it, I would encourage you to uh, to actually read the book ahead of time. I Sorry to sound like a school teacher, but the, the book's fantastic. You'll learn a lot and then not fall victim. Read the fine print of the book before you go to the silver screen, um, and we can... We can watch a snippet of that uh, to give, I guess, give these guys uh, some free advertising on their, on their movie. Who knows if they really need it?
The Osage took their name from Missouri and Osage Rivers. Neukonska. Children of the Middle Waters. Move, said the great white father. There are many, so many hungry wolves. Can you find the wolves in this picture? I think that's enough. I think Leonardo DiCaprio probably can sell his own movie. Uh, he is, after all, um, a massive star, unlike real Steve Friend so far, which is why I encourage everybody to uh, maybe elevate me to Leo's level. Give me a like and a follow on the AMRAD podcast. Garrett as well. Uh, you can follow him at GOB Actual on Twitter. You can follow me at Real Steve Friend, and you can follow the show at AMRAD Pod. I do want to close out today, though, um, with an acknowledgement to what we talked about when we first opened. And that was the the fact that today is Pearl Harbor Day. And it's 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 always interesting to me when we reflect on a day like today um, because it is so famous, but we have to acknowledge what it really is. And that was a defeat. We didn't win as a country. The United States of America did not win the battle at Pearl Harbor. It was a surprise attack. I mean, it wasn't like we we walked our troops out there and against and, and you know had a coin toss and there was a kickoff. And at the end of the day, one team had more score, scored more points than the other. It was a surprise attack in a military engagement. Over 2000 people lost their lives on the American side that day. Uh, and it galvanized the country to start participating actively in world war II. Uh, and it galvanized the country that the greatest generation to do what they did then. And uh, I think we all are indebted uh, an un unknowable amount to those people who Talk about scoring a touchdown and not spiking the football uh, to a man, anyone who fought or participated in any way that they could in World War II, you ask them uh, or you get, try to throw some compliments at them. Without fail, they come back with, I was just doing my job. So maximum respect to those guys. Uh, but the reason I'm bringing it up is it was, in fact, a defeat. And I think that that's important because as a lesson for a country or for a person, you only really grow when you face defeat. In Pearl Harbor, we, we had to face that. We had to lose those 2,403 people in order to fully engage, fully activate, and then ultimately triumph as a country and launch ourselves into the next 80 years of prosperity, where we are now sit atop as, as the lone superpower. As, as much trouble as we have every day, America is still atop the mountain. And I'm talking to my my boys, and and, and they're young, and uh, and they they're actually starting to want to go and go to the gym and exercise. And my my older son is very competitive, and if he loses at anything, he will cry mercilessly. Uh, and he tried to try to lift some weights, and he failed at the rep, and he was starting to cry. And I had to sit him down and say. You are going to fail more times if you're in, in the gym or in life than you succeed. It's really the, what you do from that. And, and not just what you do from that. If you're not failing, it means you're not trying. 
So to me, ultimately, if a failure indicates that you're pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone, you're, you're not falling prey to this addiction to comfort, which we'll have to talk about in future episodes that I think is, is plaguing the country. Uh, and I can think of, of no better uh, representation for overcoming adversity uh, and, and, uh, and, and being that, that figure that everybody listens to, or at least the music is something that we all know when we hear that da 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 that Rocky Balboa music. Got to start, got to start working out, right? Train, training montage scene. Got to start running up the steps. You got to start doing one arm pushups. Uh, interestingly, only with the one arm and all the scenes. I think uh, Sly Stallone's got one arm that's way stronger than the other. Uh, but if you saw the final actual movie of the Rocky, uh, I think it was six films. The sixth film, it's when he kind of comes out of retirement as this sixty-year-old man. He winds up fighting, uh, but he has a a a monologue or a speech in there where he talks about getting up, taking the hits, and that's how winning is done. And I and uh, it's it's kind of gotten some acclaim. People are sort of familiar with it, and that's why um, I had to had to got to have a big smile and uh, warm feel, fuzzy feeling when I saw this this video, which I, I think is the best to, to sort of close out the idea of overcoming defeat and triumphing. And that was a young man who uh, who met up with Sly Stallone and had actually memorized his speech. So I think that this is this is pretty touching and uh, and it's worth worth a watch. And we can uh, we can close it then after this. What's up, Rocco? It's, a, it's just a great scene. Uh, that, that, that kid obviously has watched that uh, film a few times. Good on his dad for having him uh, having him watch that. Nobody hits as hard as life. Uh, certainly the, the country took some pretty hard hits December 7th, 1941. Uh, stood up from the mat and wind up being repeat World War champions. So be be. Be blessed to be an American. Be be happy and be proud to be an American. Make sure uh, if, if there's anybody even remotely connected to you today that had uh, involvement with that with that global conflict, that uh, you give them a call today and acknowledge uh, the sacrifices that they made. Uh, and uh, and I thank you all for the sacrifices that you might have made here uh, with with listening to me pontificate about the evils that are going on within the FBI uh, and, and actually giving you an explanation for the way that arrests are supposed to go and that the weaponization has has really uh, come come in and, and hurt so many of our fellow countrymen. Uh, thank you for your time and attention today. Final final request, make sure that you visit www.the-suspendables.com. Keep the O'Boyle family sweatshop sweating and give us a like and a follow on Rumble. You've been listening to the AMRAD podcast. We will see you next time, Saturday at noon. Thank you very much.
You've been listening to the voice of the Suspendables on the American Radicals podcast. Follow us on rumble.com slash amradpod.